Hey there, thanks so much for listening to this message that you're about to listen. I guarantee it's going to bless you. But I wanted to take just a quick minute because we are finally here. This week is the week of our movement conference. And if you haven't yet made plans, there's still actually, believe it or not, is time. We just got a couple days. But for those of you who can't come for the whole conference, what a tragedy that is. But I wanted to let you know we have opened up single night tickets. Some seats are available for each of the nights. So if you go to the website on the screen, you still can make it to at least one of the nights if you can get here from Seattle, from Denver, from what, Hong Kong, I don't know. Come in for a night, come in for the whole thing. Uh, but either way, be praying for it. And if you can, we hope to see you at Movement Conference, Big Fork, Montana, this week, ladies and gentlemen. We're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And, um, and uh, while you're turning there, I wanna tell you a little story about uh, the first job I applied for when I got out of college. So when I got out of college, uh, there was a camp and a position that became available to be the program director at a Christian high adventure camp. So rappelling, rock climbing, all the crazy things that you do in the woods. And, um, and my job was supposed to begin on the second week of January. So dead of winter. Uh, this is Southern New Mexico. And, um, and so I decided to squeeze a snowboarding trip in right before I started my job. So I went snowboarding. Uh, I ended up wrecking and utterly destroying my arm. Um, so in your arm, you have your, your ulna and your radius, right? And the way the bone looks, you have, you know, it has like that little ball on the end of it. Well, that ball broke off. And then that ball broke in half. And then one of those halves broke in half. And so when I say utterly destroyed, I completely destroyed my wrist. I had to go into for surgery. They couldn't cast it because it would actually cause more damage through all the swelling. So they had to do what's called an external fixator. And what that is, is two screws went into my hand and two screws went into my arm and these screws were sticking out of my body and then they put clamps on them and they tied those clamps together with a titanium rod. And all of this was just, I was in full cyborg mode, right? I got metal coming out of me and, uh, and it was really intense and it was, uh, it was a huge bummer. Well, a week and a half later, I have to move my entire life out to this camp. And so to say that the drive... Um, the, the many hours of driving with one hand in full operation, the other one in incredible pain, um, while moving all your stuff would be an understatement. It was, it was incredibly difficult. I get, as I'm driving up the dirt road, I literally see it's 10 o'clock at night, 1030. There's another car that passes me. We're in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, man, that's curious, that car driving down the road. And I, I get to the camp. I pull up to the director's house. Hey, I'm here. He's in his pajamas. He's like, okay, you know, this is where your lodging is. This is where your house is going to be. You can find it down the road. All right. Awesome. Good night. And I go and I come to what is now my future home. It is a single wide trailer that was built in the 50s. And these suckers are not made to, to, to stand the test of time. And it's like, okay. And I open up the door. And when I go in, I was mortified at what I saw. It was like a scene from Hoarders, except in, instead of hoarding, tra- like, instead of hoarding, like, I don't know, books and cats, you're just hoarding trash. And, and just, I mean, it was just, it was unbelievably 
disgusting trash everywhere. There were dirty dishes all uh, like across the house and the living room and the sinks on the floor. There, I kid you not, there was a trail of ants that started in the kitchen that ran their way through the entire house and into the bathroom where there was a leaky faucet and that's where they would get their drinks from. And, um, and I, go into the, I, I would go into the, ba- the bedroom and I walked in the bedroom and you're just kind of walking, you, you flip the switch and you're, you walk in and then all of a sudden I see within a foot of my face a brown recluse spider. I know, confirmed, why? Because I saw its fiddle, you know, on its back, one foot from my, and I recoil, and the thing goes to the ground, and I try to grab it, but it skirts underneath one of the beds, and I'm like, mmm. So I go, I go burn it down. Yeah, that's, that would have been the right thing to do. Um, I, <laughs> I, I go out to my truck, and pull the tailgate, and I gotta move all my boxes into my, my new home, and uh, I only have one hand that I can use, so I have to like scoot the boxes off the tailgate and kind of like latch them into the fulcrum of my leg and then kind of like shimmy over and up the stairs into my house, put the boxes down. And um, I, there was no way that I was going to sleep in that bedroom, so I grabbed my money bag, I cleared trash off the couch, and I cinched it down just enough to like breathe, you know, just air coming in. And then the next day, I mean, terrible night's sleep, but the next day I, I go to start my new job and find out that the vehicle that was driving down the road was actually my roommate slash coworker who had bailed in the middle of the night. Caught wind I was coming and then just took off. He was like, I'm out, see ya. Didn't bother cleaning nothing, just gone. And so now I'm bearing the weight of my job, but also his job as well. And I'm trying, you know how it is when you start a new job, it takes like a couple weeks couple months to get an idea of what exactly it is that you're doing. What are your responsibilities? How do I do this? And, uh, and I'm trying to figure it out and all this stuff bearing down on me. And it was a nightmare of a first day. It was absolutely horrible. My arm hurts. Uh, luckily, I go back into my house and my, my surgeon, my doctor told me that it's necessary for me to daily scrub the wounds open where the pins come out so that stuff is constantly excreting instead of stuff going in because you risk a bone infection if something gets into those deals. So here I am after my first day of work in the, in the nightmare house and I'm taking a shower. I'm, I have a toothbrush and I'm scrubbing my wounds open, the trail of ants going over my head and down to the faucet. And I just start thinking, you know, maybe this isn't what God had in store for me. Maybe um, I heard him wrong, and maybe I made a bad choice based on some bad tacos, or I don't know what, but it kind of feels like all the forces of hell and darkness are against me right now, and this doesn't really feel much like God's will. Have you ever, you ever been in those circumstances where literally you're, you're trying to do the right thing, and yet at the same time, it feels like everything is against you. Everything is going wrong. And when everything goes wrong, just the natural inclination of us as people is to think, maybe this isn't right. Maybe this isn't what I was supposed to do. And I think that's where we need to kind of sit as we we jump into this passage in 1 Corinthians. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. I think it's worth noting the fact that You know, he wrote a letter to the Galatians and Ephesians. It took about six chapters. Philippians and Colossians, you guys get four. Corinthians, this is the first book of 16 chapters of two, you know. So obviously the church was a little bit messed up. I I would like to think that my book would probably be as long as the one that he wrote to them. 
But um, he's, he's wrapping it up. He's done the whole thing, and now he's just giving them his travel itinerary. And it's, you know how it's like, hey, this guy's going to come, say hi to him, give him a high five. I asked this guy to come, but he doesn't really want to, so you guys pray about that. And then, um, and then he kind of lists off what he's going to do, and it starts off in verse 5 of chapter 16. It says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. What? Paul, you're slipping this into your travel itinerary? Like, did you catch? I mean, he, he says that a wide door for effective work has been opened for him. And this work of God is confirmed how? By the fact that it's hard. By the fact that everything will be against him. He is willfully walking in to the battlefield. He's willfully putting himself in harm's way, knowing the fact that there is an effective work that lies ahead of him. If you're taking notes, I'm calling this little encouragement, this little message, um, entering the AO. AO is a military term uh, that stands for the area of operation. What is that? That's, that's the fight zone. That's the battlefield. Paul is entering the AO with a smile on his face and I feel like we get a, a little bit of a glimpse into the strategy where his mind is at as he's doing this. Because yes, he's closing his letter out, but you gotta leave it to Paul to just drop little nuggets of amazingness throughout his closing dissertation. And in, in a few verses down, he says this. You can see how his mind is just in this place. He's trying to wrap his letter, but he's trying to encourage the church at the same time. And in verse 13, he says this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. I think in this, we, we get a little sneak peek into five strategies that I want to take note of as we kind of learn what it, what it looks like as we enter into the AO. And, and you got Paul, I mean, it's like, you know, Maximus on his horse with his sword held out. I love the way the message translation puts it. It says it like this. It, so you just imagine him, keep your eyes open, hold tight to your convictions, give it all you got, be resolute and love without stopping for Jesus, you know, and like just leads the charge. He's not the one who's sitting in the back like, you guys go get that done. No, he's going for it. He's entering into the AO. And so I'm excited to see what this challenge has for us, these strategies and how we can apply them for what we're doing today. But let me pray while we get started. God, thank you so much for the beauty of your word, this incredible scripture that you breathed that's full of life, that's full of encouragement, inspiration and challenge. God, I pray that uh, these words that we study this morning, it's just a couple verses, and yet there is power, there is life. Um, 
inside of these words. And so God, I just pray that you would move in a way that only you can. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would ignite the things in us that need to be lit up. And I pray that we would catch that fire and that we would, we would run with everything that we have, trusting you every step of the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay, so the first thing that we need to take note on, the first strategy that we're gonna glean from what Paul said is this, stay alert. We have to ask the question, how do you stay alert? Uh, he, he says, keep your eyes open. You know, open your eyes. So what is this? This is, this is where we have to gather basically the state of the AO. What is, what is actually going on in the battlefield? Imagine like, you know, the espionage movie where, you know, you go into the war room and there's like the 3D map on the wall, the satellite images and the little red dots of where everybody is and where the enemy's advancing and what we're gonna do about it, right? This is, you gotta, you gotta keep your eyes open. You have to have a clear picture of everything that's going on. And so you ask the question, well, what is the state of the AO? What is the state of the area of operation? What is the state of the battlefield? I'll tell you right now, you are being hunted like a dog. That's basically what's going on. You're being hunted like a dog. First Peter chapter five says, be sober-minded. What does it say? Be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. You're, you are being hunted. But this isn't, this, is, this isn't a fight that you can see, right? There's, it's, there's, there, it's different than that. It's, it has spiritual ramifications because in, in uh, Ephesians 6, it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Can we just pause right there? We've read this verse a lot of times. What the heck are cosmic powers over this present darkness? Like there's some a significant weight to the things that are being communicated in this little passage against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is where our fight is taking place. Y'all, this is like, this is predator stuff. He's hiding in the trees and he's got like the masking thing on so you can't actually see him. And the only reason why you know you're in danger is you see the three dots on your chest, right? Like this is, this is crazy stuff. It's, it's a spiritual fight. You're entering into a spiritual conflict. And so you have to keep your eyes open. Open to what? Open to traps. Traps everywhere. How does a trap work? Man, you, you set this thing out there. You disguise it in such a way that you don't know what it is. And then you lure them in. You lure your prey in. And so you have traps that are laid out all around you. You have to keep your eyes open. What, is, what are the things that so easily trip you up? What are the things? I mean, you know what it is. I don't have, I don't have to elaborate on this at all because you know exactly where and how you will get tripped up on how you get snagged and how you'll get brought down. Paul is just saying, keep your eyes open. Don't be surprised by it. Be ready for it so that you can do something about it. The enemy wants to destroy you from the inside out, um, but he's given us the gift of the church. Right? You can only see what is immediately in your vicinity. When, when you see like, a, like a, you know, a, a special forces team clearing a room, right? They're, they're, they're all working in tandem with each other. I see this line of sight, but what's awesome is that this guy sees this line, and then what? There's somebody who sees my six. 
There's somebody who, 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 who has a sense of what's going on behind me that I have no idea and they can protect me. I would ask you, who has your six? Who's, who's, who sees your blind spot? That's something that you actively have to invite into your life. It's not something that, that's just gonna happen and manifest on its own. It's something that has to, yeah, if you, get a bunch of guys together and grab some coffee and, and, and you know, just encourage each other or, or grab a bunch of ladies and invite them over to your house and start asking each other difficult questions. These are the moments where you're inviting people in. Why? Because there's power in the church. This is not something that you're intended to just go out and be a hero and try to make this thing all work. Um, I, I read an interview um, with uh, a former army ranger and he was talking about how it's very interesting the people that make it through these training programs because you would think that it's the person who is the sharpest shooter, who moves the quickest, who has the greatest endurance, who's gonna be the one who makes it through to the end, but it's not that person. Why? because that person doesn't play on a team. The beauty and the power of a special forces unit is they work in tandem together. There's a strength in who they are as a team. And so you have been given this team to your right and to your left and in front of you and behind you that can help you see the things that you can't see. You need to keep your eyes open. You need to be alert so that you don't get snagged by traps. But I think being alert, keeping your eyes open has two different things. Yes, there's a defensive element to it, but there's also an offensive element. We're not only looking out for traps, we're also looking out for gaps. What are those? The, the chinks in the armor, right? The things, oh, there's, there's a, a, a causeway that's opened up that I can go in, I can infiltrate, and I can do something about. Um, I have a buddy of mine, he, his name is Jose, he lives in Texas, he's part of our church online community, and um, he was going through our rooted curriculum, and there was one week that talked about making your life count. How do you make your life count? And in that, it kind of challenged you to do the same thing. Hey, just be aware, pay attention to what's going on around you. And he said that had he not been paying attention, if he had not been keeping his eyes open, he would have missed it, but he had a friend of his who had gotten evicted from his place, he didn't have anywhere to go for two weeks. And so he's planning on living out of his car. And my buddy, Jose, he was like, he got some friends together. And he's like, what if we put him up in a hotel? And, uh, and he's like, but here's the thing. Like, I can't do regular hotel. I'm bougie. So I got to do bougie for him. And so they pool all their resources together. One of his friends was a concierge at one of these hotels. They got him in there. They got him a hotel room for two weeks. And the hotel had a really nice restaurant on it. They were able to comp all of his meals through the restaurant. They even went and bought him more clothes. He didn't even need clothes. He didn't ask for clothes, but they bought him more clothes because they just wanted to help take care of him. And now he's standing in this hotel room with all of his friends, they're jazzed out of their minds. And he's like, we can't do this. You gotta, you gotta return it. Like, I, I can't do this. The car is fine. It's like, bro, you are not staying in your car. You're going bougie in the hotel because that's what we're doing for you. And, and, and you just imagine like, what that does to a person's heart. How, how, man, there's this little section of, you know, just this little gap that he was able to squeeze into and how is the impact of that experience going to affect his life? Was the gospel necessarily shared in that moment? I don't know, I have no idea. But it created a way for it to happen you know, this reckless generosity. And so there's two, two ways to staying alert, right? Watching for traps, looking for gaps. If you have an idea of where your enemy is and what he's doing, you, can't, you, you, you don't just hold ground, you're able to take ground, which is kind of the hope, okay? Speaking of 
taking ground, next point is you got to stay grounded. How are you going to stay grounded, right? What does Paul say? Hold tight to your convictions. What is it that you actually believe? What do you believe? Hold tight. What does it mean to be grounded? Well, if you're speaking from an electrical sense, every single one of you in your house, somewhere outside of your house, there's a little copper pipe that's sticking out of the ground with a wire running to it. Well, that copper pipe is actually a long post that's four feet that's driven into the earth. And and its purpose is all of the electrical appliances and all the things in your house, they're going to discharge into that ground. Why? So that they don't discharge into your body. That would be unfortunate if everything wasn't grounded and now this voltage is discharging for you. That's going to have catastrophic consequences. What are you grounded to? What are you anchored to, right? Your whole electrical system is anchored to the rock of, a, of this earth. What do we anchor to? What are all of the different aspects of our life, all of the beautiful things in our life, what are those gonna be anchored to? It's this right here. It is this word. It is, it, it, it is this word is your guide. It is your wisdom. It is your warning. It is your encouragement. It's your navigation. It's your foundation. This is your anchor. But, that requires you to do something about it. I, I love this in, in Psalm 119.9. It says, how can a young man, I'd insert a young woman, an old man, a cantankerous woman, kick their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. This is your anchor. How do you stay grounded? How do you stay? I love how Pastor Levi wrote in his book, Through the Eyes of a Lion. He talks about the concept of being on your tiptoes. Right, like lions, they, they're poised on their, on their tiptoes. They don't walk on their paths, they walk on their toes. Why? Because they're always ready, always alert. They're, they're grounded in such a way that no matter what comes against them, they're ready. For us to do the same thing, to, be, to, to have this word in our heart is essentially like being on our tiptoes, like being stable. Um, if, you, if you go out onto the battlefield and you aren't anchored, man, you just get leveled. You get destroyed, right? Because what the, what's the enemy doing? The enemy is filling its gun with lies. Lies, 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 right? The devil is the father of lies. And then they're shooting those at you. And what you're diffusing them with is truth, right? God's word is absolutely true, which means it's absolutely trustworthy. So whatever promises that you need to have tucked away, anchored in your heart, are, uh, those are the things that are gonna be able to help you withstand and not be walk, lock, knocked down, not be destroyed by everything that comes at you. When you're grounded, when you're grounded, you're ready for whatever comes. So you walk into the AO, right? You're entering into the battlefield. You're, you're being aware of what's going on around you. You're grounded by God's word, anchoring your heart, the next thing is this, you, then you stay focused. I love this so much. Stay focused. What does Paul say? Act like men. Not like children, right? Children are wholly unfocused and totally distracted and leave a trail of despair behind them, right? Um, you have to ask the question, what's my goal? What's my goal? What am I doing? Uh, yes, there is this specific, the general goal of, you know, um, man, bring the gospel to all the nations, right? That's something that we all have this goal, right? Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples 
of all people, right? These are very general goals, but what is the specific goal? What is the specific thing that God has put in you? I believe with all my heart that you have been given from the womb, God crafted you specifically with different talents, with different gifts, with different spiritual gifts, right? If this is a spiritual war we fight, then you have to fight it with spiritual weapons, right? So your gifts and your talents are awesome, but your spiritual gifts, man, this is the power of the Holy Spirit working inside you. Have you ever done a spiritual gifts test? Do you even know what that is? Um, Pastor Kyle pointed out to me that under your chairs is a little connection card. You can actually sign up to find out what your spiritual gifts are. So, hey, there's kind of a cool little deal. If you don't know, we'll help you figure it out. Um, and, and in that, the question is, wh- have I done everything that I possibly can? And this is an extremely personal question because only you know if you've done everything that you can. Only you know if you've walked in and you've exercised and you've grown in these things. Um, I was having a, a, a conversation with a friend of mine earlier this week, and they were saying, you know, it must be nice um, being able to live with such a sense of calling that you don't have to ever question it with the what ifs. And I was like, mm, well, it doesn't really quite work that way. And the first thing I thought of, honestly, was a, a little line that I try to slip into every wedding that I've ever done. So if you've ever gotten married by me, you've heard me say this. I say, love is not a feeling that you have on your wedding day. Love is a decision you make on your wedding day and for every day past that. What is that? That's focus. That is focus, right? For us in, in what we're doing, um, I, I have been given gifts, okay? I'm, I'm making the decision, the conscious effort to be focused, to, to, to lean into those things. And what's amazing about focus is that it's, it's a multiplier, okay? So think about this. Focus, when, when you bring an image into focus, you bring a sense of vision and you bring a sense of clarity, Right? When you're looking at the whole picture, if it's blurry, you just don't know what, is, what you're doing, where, how, why, whatever. But when, you, when it brings it into focus, now you have vision, now you have direction, now you know what you're doing. Um, you, you also are able to concentrate power with focus. So the sun doesn't have enough energy to light a house on fire. But what if you take a magnifying glass and you, and you focus the power of the sun? Man, you're gonna burn that house down right? That's focused energy. It, it, it brings, it concentrates power. Not only that, but focus enables you to move faster. So for instance, my daughter, who's sitting right here, lovely Addison Guido, um, she was my travel buddy. Um, under normal circumstances, when we drive up from the Tetons, um, it takes our family eight plus hours in order to get here. Why? Because you're like doing bathroom breaks, you're filling up gas, you're taking a nap, you're eating five guys, you're just doing all the things that families do that drag out a trip to get to your destination. But my, my, my girl, she's my, she's my right-hand girl, and she, she knows how this works. I was like, okay, so destination, Kalispell, right? She's like, yep, no bathroom breaks, not even gonna drink anything. I was like, my girl, right? <laughs> and it was like, we, we made one stop for a quick bathroom break and for, for, to fuel up, and we made it here in six hours and 45 minutes. We were booking it. I felt like my bladder was going to explode, but we had focus. We knew what we were doing, and I wasn't gonna screw it up, you know? And so we just drove until we made it to Kalispell, 
Focus is an incredible multiplier. It, it has the ability to, um, to, to amplify these giftings that you've been given when you're able to use them with focus. It's interesting, um, um, if you've ever watched like special forces, the way they move when they're in combat scenarios is very strange because it looks like their torso is separate from their legs, right? Like when you're moving, it's like your legs are doing one thing, but your upper body is doing a totally different thing. And the reason why is because you're trying to align your head with your heart. What happens is when you're in a scenario, you can't waste even milliseconds. So if I turn my head like this, and then an enemy comes in, and I have to regain my focus, I've wasted time. But if I keep my head and my heart together, now I'm able to maintain focus. I'm able to work faster. I'm able to multiply my efforts. So think about this. Think about your spiritual gifts. Think about how God has uniquely designed you. Multiply that by clarity. Then multiply it by power. Then multiply it by time. You just made yourself the enemy's worst nightmare. Not only that, not only that, but you also are multiplied by every single person in this room and every single person that's watching online and every single person that's at every campus, now you have this formidable force that's able to do things that you wouldn't have been able to dream about before because why we have stayed, we have a staying focus. The next thing is this, stay strong, right? We, we have our eyes open, we're holding tight to our convictions, we're, we're staying focused, but now we need to stay strong this is why. You gotta answer the question, why? Why am, I, why am I doing this? Why am I still at this camp? You know, like, why would I stay here? You have to know your why. When I was a youth pastor, I used to keep a file in my desk. And this file was labeled, keep going. And in that file, any time I'd ever received a letter from a parent saying, man, you have no idea what this ministry is doing for my kid. I just wanna say thank you. Anytime I got an encouraging note saying, man, I'd love that I get to partner with you in changing this next generation. Any silly note or whatever joke or whatever, all the things that were encouraging my heart, they all went into that file. So that on the day that came many times when I felt like I had nothing left, when I was completely empty, completely depleted, and, and I had no drive or fight to continue to go, I'd pull out the keep going file and I'd start remembering, why am I doing this? Why am I fighting? Why am I staying in this thing? That is going to strengthen your heart. And then when you know your why, you need to do the next thing. What's the only way that you're gonna stay strong? Man, you have to train. This is, this is the idea that you're, you, you can't act like a child anymore. Uh, I cannot spoon feed you your relationship with God. That is your responsibility. That is something that you have to, I can't go to the gym and lift your weights for you. That's gonna benefit you nothing. This is something that you have to take ownership of yourself. I, and I, I'm gonna give kudos to my wife for throwing me this one because in Hebrews chapter five, man, the author just lays it out there pretty hardcore. It says, um, chapter five, verse 11, it says, and this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the world of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is something that you have to take ownership of. This is you getting into the fight. This is you owning your relationship with God and and, and strengthening that. But then there's this amazing thing that happens because yes, we know our why, yes, we're training, but at the same time, there are strength in numbers. And to your right and to your left and in front of you and behind you is the church, is this group of people. And, and, And Hebrews says this as well in verse 24 of chapter 10, it says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you say, see the day approaching. There is a strength that comes from the community, right? There's a strength in your why. There's a strength in, your, in you owning your relationship. There's a strength in the community. Now, I was watching a TV show um, about these Navy SEALs, and there's a, there's a moment where the main character has many flashbacks, and he goes back, and he sees moments that were quintessential to this moment developing, and there's a scene where it's all these trainees, and they're sitting on the beach, and the tide's rising, and their arms are all locked together, and their drill sergeants are yelling at them, and there's a bell that's hammered into the beach, and as the tide's rising, these waves are crashing over their backs. It's the middle of the night. They have no sleep. They can't breathe every single time the tide comes over their heads. It's freezing cold, and the drill sergeants are yelling, man, all you gotta do is ring the bell. Ring the bell, and this stops. It just takes one of you. Go ring the bell, and it's all over. And you see the main character, he's got this fierce look of determination, like, ain't nothing gonna stop me. But the guy next to him says, he starts breaking down. He says, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. Man, I don't, I don't think I could do this anymore. I, 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 I think this is the end. And then the main character says, don't you do it. Don't you dare do it, you know? And in that moment, when this person had nothing left, there was a strength that came from the team. And, and what's, what's amazing is later on in the show, you see how this person actually became one of his right-hand men on, on one of his, his teams. And so you see the strength and the power of us all working together. You gotta keep your eyes open, hold tight to your convictions, act like men, stay strong. The last thing is this, we have to stay selfless. If we're gonna enter into the O, you have to fight to stay selfless. And this asks the question, who can I help? Who can I help? Jesus said this, literally out of his own mouth, John 15, three, it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Now, I I have to confess, I am a selfish person. I care a lot about me. I care a lot about my agenda. I care a lot about the things that I want, about the things I experience, the things that I dream about, right? It's easy to focus on me. I think it's human nature to want the best for yourself, but this is so contrary to that because this is saying, how does the message translation put it? It puts it like this. It says, love without stopping. Love with no breaks. We cut the brake lines. It's just going. It's going to go forever. But that's really hard. That's really hard when somebody offends you, right? 
when, when somebody says something to you that, that breaks your heart, it's hard to love without stopping, right? It's hard to continue to, to care. But Jesus demonstrated this with his own life, who being God wrapped up in the body of flesh came. He lived a perfect life. He died a criminal's death so that you could experience life with him forever. It doesn't make any sense. That's love without stopping. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus really like set the standard because he came from heaven and literally entered into the area of operation, fighting for our lives, fighting for our sakes, holding nothing back, knowing that we would be able to experience joy with him forever. And Paul followed in his footsteps. What did Paul do? Paul, man, he goes and preaches the gospel in some town. They drag him out of the town. They were so furious, threw him in a ditch and threw rocks at him until he died. Have you ever been hit by a rock? That does not feel good. I mean, in, in elementary school, I remember as kids, it's like, I don't know, we got into a rock throwing game. And it's like, how, why, why? And I remember sitting in the principal's office, it's like, so why did you do that? And it was like, but it was a game. We were having fun. It's like Jimmy's bleeding out of his you know, forehead. And, and it's like, man, it doesn't feel good. Okay, what if you were stoned to death? left to die. And when the ruckus settled, everybody walked away. And there's Paul, who actually is alive, standing up from the rubble, completely destroyed, head to toe, shakes some things off, gathers his wits, walks back into the town, walks back into the the fight, walks back into the battlefield. Why? Why? He said, a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. So I'm gonna go. You see the warrior heart of Jesus in the life of Paul. You see the warrior heart of our church as we fight for movement. You see the warrior heart of every single person in here as we fight for the next generation. Why? Because a wide door for an incredible work has opened for us. You see the warrior heart in our students who are fighting to see God's glory shown in their spheres of influence, in their school, in their friend groups, and all of these things. We are in the fight of our life. But the best thing about all of this, and we've spent most of the day singing songs about this very fact, the victory has already been secured because of what Jesus has done. It's almost like you're on like the, you know, the Super Bowl team and you're up, you know, 45 points. Man, there's no chance for the other team. Like, this, like now we're just riding the victory in. Like now we're just like pushing each other over and tripping each other because whatever, like it's, it's fine. We're gonna win anyways, right? You're on the winning team. The victory has been secured, but you still have a part to play. There's this one very small window in all of eternity called the church age. It didn't exist before this moment and it won't exist after we go to heaven, right? Because we won't need the church in heaven. We will all be there. But we have this one moment, this one opportunity to go fight for the kingdom of God. But that, that requires every one of us to be able to buy in. You guys, I believe that the church, that this is the season for the church to rise up for us to not sit on the sidelines, but to take up the weapons of the gifts that we've been given and use them to build the kingdom of God, to use them to go into the fight and see people who are stranded in sin find life 
and liberty in Jesus. This is our charge. A wide door for effective work. Man, it doesn't, we have never done a more aggressive campaign to go after the next generation than we have right now with this conference. And every one of you are a part of that. Whether you're serving with your gifts, with your talents, with your finances, with your prayers, whether you're interceding on our behalf, just like on your knees, God, do a work. God, do a work. God, do a work. You know, what if all, all of us are all praying in unison at the same time? God's not going to ignore those prayers. He will act on those things. This is part of us going into the fight, and it starts with you. It starts today with you taking that first step into the battlefield, and I pray that you would. God, we just thank you so much. We thank you so much for the work that you've done in Paul, the apostle, and how the ramifications of that have rippled through time and history. And now, in some closing thoughts, we can get marching orders for what we need to do next. Engage the fight, not, not shirk away, not expect somebody else to do it, but to use the weapons of our gifts, the things that you have uniquely deposited in us to go charge for your glory to go see the lives changed, to, to jump into the fight of our lives. God, I pray that we wouldn't stand down. I pray we wouldn't be afraid. I pray there would be a strength. There would be a courage. There would be unity in us working together as the church. And I pray that you would do amazing and beautiful things for your name and for your glory. God, we pray for movement conference four days away. We pray for miracles. I, we already know the world's against us. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but we know that you're working. So we don't have to be afraid of the things that go wrong. God, we lean into those things and we trust you to do what only you can do. We're saying, God, we're here. We're available. Use us. We're trusting our lives in your hands. And we pray that you change students' life. I pray that you give them purpose. Pray that you give them power. Pray that you give them life as they follow hard after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And if you're here today and you, you've heard us sing these songs about this conquering King of Kings, Jesus Christ, and you've heard me talk about the things that he's done for you in order to rescue you and to give you a hope and a life, to be able to spend eternity exploring the majesty of an infinite God, and, and, and you don't have that relationship with him, I wanna invite you to take that, that step of just trusting your life in his hands. There's a lot of things you can trust your life in. You could trust your bank account. You could trust the news. You could trust your family. You can trust so many different things, but they will all let you down. Jesus never will. Jesus will be there on your best days. He'll be there on your worst days. He'll be there to carry you through. Why? Because he has already secured the victory. The Bible says that if you want that relationship, if you want to trust your life in his hands, all you have to do is believe in your heart that he is God. And say with your mouth that, that God raised him from the dead and then you will be saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means that you get to enjoy this relationship with God forever. He paid the price of your sins so that you can experience the joy of his life.
And if that's you and you wanna do that today, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. This is not some hocus pocus, seance or anything like that. This is your heart in honesty before God. And I'm gonna lead you in it. And I'm gonna ask the church to, to pray alongside you so that you know that, man, we got your six. We got your back. We're in this fight with you. So that's, if that's you and you wanna give your life to Jesus, pray this. Say, God, I give you my heart. I hold nothing back. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for conquering death and its sting. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come into my life. Show me your gifts and help me to walk in them. My life is yours. In Jesus' name I pray.